think it was a couple weeks ago I had uh, installed in my message uh, an email that I had gotten from a certain person. Well, I kind of got the same idea. This time it was from a ministry. And it has to do with the way I was thinking and where I've been. And, you know, even as we look at this, our, our nation, look, things are never going to be like they were. So just get over that. You have to understand this is the way it is. Um, so there might be the deepest, darkest times of despair uh, going on, like in our nation, individual trials, uh, situations that people are in sometimes seem never ending or never over. And also in ministries, ministries just having difficult times, staying afloat or whatever. And so here came this email from this um, ministry. It's an international ministry, so don't, your job is not to guess who, your job is to listen. Okay, so this guy says he was in Wales. He writes, Wales was a place where I was able to do a lot of soul searching and praying about the future. As many of you know, we have had a pretty unsettled few years since leaving Kansas City. I don't know if you have ever experienced anything like this, but it was like God forced us out of Kansas City, a place that we have no intention of ever leaving. And ever since then, we have been trying to find our feet. Has there ever been something that has been so set in your life and all of a sudden God comes along and forces you out of that situation? Absolutely forces you out and you can't believe it. You never had intentions. (coughs) You never were. In fact, it happened to me when I lived in Pittsburgh, PA. I was never going to leave that place. Born there, born again there, going to do a work for God there. And then something tragic happened. Absolutely tragic. Forced out. Because of job and work. And he goes on and says, it's taken me a long time. It's like you can't get your footing back under you, God. What are you doing? And then you go into, um, is this God? Is God doing this? And then you go into, what's the matter with me? What's going on inside of me? And so if you're there at this situation, God forcing you, listen up. He goes on and reads, you know, in the last couple of years, I've done a lot of preaching in a lot of places and seen God do many remarkable things, but I've also suffered some of the worst moments of black despair that I have ever experienced in my whole life. And I think that's going on. I believe that there is this uh, blackness, this despair, this hopelessness, um, and I'm, I hate to call it a season, but it seems like that's what we're in, even as a ministry, even as a nation, maybe even individually, and going, God, where's those moves of God? Where's those powerful moves, Lord, that we need? And so this guy's talking almost in the same thing, and he calls it a black despair. And then he goes and says this, Many times I have seriously considered quitting the ministry altogether, retiring to some quiet place to write or whatever. The last two or three years have been some of the darkest that I've known. So many disappointments and regrets and what-ifs weighing on my heart from every direction. And this goes on in our lives. Sometimes you, um, uh, it's really silly to think, but sometimes we're pushed to the brink in serious trials and situations and heartbreaking circumstances. You feel like getting the towel and throwing it in. If you be honest. I think we're all like that. And here's this guy saying the same thing, feeling like retiring and just hanging it up. And he goes on and writes this, because it's so easy when you see the whole world. And worse, the whole church. 
seemingly headed down a road to oblivion, to sink into despair. What can we possibly do becomes our cry. And indeed, it seems so utterly hopeless is what this man's writing. And I remember Job cried once. Remember the cry of Job. He says, Wherefore then hast thou brought me forth out of the womb? Job says, Oh, that I had given up the ghost, and no eye had seen me, that no one had ever seen me, that I would simply have died. Verse 19 says, I should have been as though I had not been. I should have been carried from the womb to the grave, Job said. In this moment of despair and dark blackness in Job's life. The psalmist says in verse 80, and I have even said this to God. He said, uh, chapter 80, he said, uh, O Lord God of hosts, how long shalt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? Lord, we have sought you. We have cried out, God. Lord, we have taken times of intercessions and times of seeking you for our city and stirring and coming. God, how long is it going to be? And so sometimes black despair can come upon you. And this guy's like, man, I'm about ready to give it up. And if you truly look at the church, now the American church, I'm talking about not talking about the Romanian church like we heard about. Remember, what did he call us? Spoiled little children. Softies. Okay? Now you think a little bit that's happened to America. It is bad. It's nasty, the direction we're heading. But that's just a drop in a bucket of what's been going on. We sell, uh, we celebrated. That was a dumb. We prayed for, what was it, the um, Kathy Musgrave. What did we call that day? I had you standing out there with... Voice of the martyrs, but it was a certain the, the we prayer for the persecuted churches. What I forgot to tell you that day, 176,000 people died this year, simply because they love Christ. Simply, so we haven't seen anything. And what we're in, let me tell you, I believe. Listen to this now. If you're visiting, that's all right. You probably don't have to come back. This is the hand of God. What we're in. This is God. It's not the devil. It's God. It is, and I'll tell you why. Because God wants the American church to grow up. This is where we're at. We're in a season of growth. God is going to demand growth from his people. If prosperity gave us growth, we ought to be awesome in God. We ought to be Goliaths in God. We should be giants in God and faith and power and doing the work of God and witnessing and winning souls if prosperity did that. But it doesn't. Prosperity produces fat softies in the things of God. You all buy your spiritual hammocks with your spiritual lemonade and that's it. You swing on it and sip your lemonade and say, God, I need this. Well, those days are over. Absolutely over. I'm going to give you two words. Two words that you're going to live by in this season. Or if this is the way it is from now on. First word is going to be despair. You're going to live in despair. This is what you're going to have to choose. You're either going to live in despair or you're going to live in resolve. Despair or resolve. That's how you're going to live today. 
Now listen, he doesn't stop there. He goes on and says this. But we have to remember that it is Jesus himself who builds his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. You understand? The gates of hell. We're beating on the gates of hell. You understand that? And it shall not prevail. God knows exactly how bad things are. He knows that. He knows what's going on. He is not surprised or shocked in any way, he goes on and writes. And maybe, just maybe, he sees the darkest of times as an opportunity. Listen, to let his light shine in such a way that mankind will truly see and take note in ways that they never normally do. When does man usually wake up? When there's some catastrophe, when there's some unbelievable earthquake or fire, they do these unbelievable things. When the earthquake happened in California and those big bypasses collapsed like pancakes, people rushed into little cracks and crevices, pulling out people who could care less. An hour ago, they would have not even let them in traffic. And so God's going to use this press of a hard time when God wants to get the olive oil out of the olive, which he do. He doesn't go to the store and buy a quart of olive oil. It's a press that comes down upon the olive, pressing and getting every ounce of the precious olive oil from the olive. And this is where we are. Now, I'm not telling you it's going to be a, a life of dread and horror. I'm telling you it's God behind this saying, we want you to grow up. And when you grow up, you're going to see the manifested power of God and the grace of God and the saving power of God. Or we could go along still being softies. Where we're at. Man, I don't want to. In fact, I'm preaching tonight on a message called, God, I'm going to be another man. I'm, I want to be another person. And then, the world's terms, when I was younger, I always wanted to be like 6'3 and 225 and chiseled. And I ended up 6 and not quite chiseled. Certain color hair you want, certain color eyes you want. But now I've gotten saved. And I see in the Word of God where I can be another man. And tonight we're going to call upon God. Make us different. I want to be different. Make me something I can't be. And that's tonight. So if you're hungry for that, I hope you'll come back. Now listen. Resolve or despair. The definition for despair is to lose all hope or confidence. And that's what's going on in our nation. They're losing hope in the banking system. They're losing hope in the government, in elections. They're losing hope in our senators and representatives, whoever they represent. We don't even know anymore. They're losing hope in all that stuff. And the big corporations are losing hope in everything that seemingly kept this nation propped up and profitable and prosperous. 
losing hope and all that, despair. And now it's in the church because the church is very worldly. We are. We're very worldly. So you're going to either live by despair, what you hear on Fox News or CNN or whatever you watch, or the next election that doesn't swing our way or the next seat we lose or the next vote that happens or the next this. We're going to live either by despair or you're going to live by resolve. Now, listen, resolve is free from doubt. Free from doubt. Resolve. It means settled. It means determined. And we're not talking about free from doubt in you, or you're going to suck it up, or I'm going to tough this out. We're talking about you're going to be determined, free from doubt, settled, that it's the Word of God and only the Word of God that's going to get you to heaven and get you through this time. It's it. Or you're going to live by despair. By the next vote, the next guy gets in White House, the next this or the next that, the next time Iran does something or they don't do something. Or are you going to live by resolve in the Word of God? And this is the time we're in. We have said for years, you better get in the Word of God. You better get a firm foundation in the Word of God because there's coming a time. We said that for years. Well, this is that time. And God does have a message for you in this. So it's either despair or resolve. You have to choose. Deuteronomy 30 tells us this. God says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. He says that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. God gives you a choice. And then God is so loving, He even tells you, choose life. But He can't choose it for you. Because He's given you that free moral agent. You make your own decisions. You decided to come here. You could have said, that a heck with it. And got off and turned somewhere and went home. But you've decided to come to hear the Word of God this morning. And so God is now giving you that Word of God. He's saying, this is what you must do. You're either going to live by despair or resolve that the Word of God is what it claims to be. Or you're going to live in despair and worry and depression. Because, let's face it, we're moved more by what we see and hear and feel than what we're supposed to have inside here. We do. They vote again, and the vote goes the wrong way. And we go, oh, no, what's going to happen? And all the votes have been going the wrong way. <clears throat> so you have a choice how you're going to live. The enemy's tactics are this. He's going to make you. Now, look, we're talking about a nation. We're talking about the church, and we're talking about individuals, wherever you are. The, the tactic, one of the main tactics of the enemy is to make you feel in, in that despair that you are all alone. You're alone. 1 Kings 19.14 says, And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life too, to take it away. I'm all alone. 
Not only that, some of your dearest friends in Christ. You know, if a lost person, if a rank heathen hates me, that might bother me. I don't want folks to hate you. But if they hate you for the cause of Christ, you go, well, whatever. I'm hanging on to the things of God. But when it's someone who you sought God with, when it's someone who you worshiped God with, made plans, taught about God with, fasted with, laid on the floor and cried out to God with, when they raise their foot against you, it's a whole different thing. And you go, oh, I might as well quit. And that's what goes on. That's what the enemy does. I think this is Elijah. He's talking about in 1 Kings 19. He says, I, even I alone am left. And now they seek my life to take it away. And David makes that remark in Psalms. He says, yes, my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, had lifted up his heel against me. Hebrews again reminds us, Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this is what the Lord's doing. We mentioned that a little while ago, a couple weeks ago, how he's shaking and turning even upside down, inside out, the church. I don't talk to a lot of ministers, but I talk to a number of them. And they all seem to say, man, what's, what's, the, what's going on? This is, what's, what's up? <clears throat> so you're going to live by despair or are you going to live by resolve in the Word of God? Despair by what you receive through your sights, your ears. Resolve by what you know hidden in your heart. And that will cause you to grow. So in the midst of this unsettledness and your personal moments of black despair, God is telling me to tell you, you're not alone. You're not. Again, someone slipped a song in my hand, and sometimes I listen to them, sometimes I don't. But God is always faithful to give me a song. And in this song, a guy just starts screaming, you're not alone. You're not alone. And that brought faith and hope in my heart. And sometimes you sit or I sit in that office and I think, God, what is going on? We're absolutely without any hope if you don't move, God. But you understand, God's ways are not our ways. God is moving. He is. It just sometimes it takes us a little while to see it. And after I said that to myself and heard that song, then you know how God just kind of leads you to certain verses and stuff. Not that he's speaking them into you or just kind of looking and listening. And all of a sudden, a verse that you might have seen before all of a sudden makes a different meaning to you. A very simple verse found in John 14. It simply says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I will. And I whispered that into the ears of a, a, a man yesterday that I was at his funeral of his son. And I'm like, God, what, I, there's not words. I can, I, what am I going to say to the guy who's just there with his son who was killed in an accident, um, you know, a 
Praise God, everything will be all right. Everything. It's a horrible time. A horrible time. And I thought, oh, God, I'm just going to whisper that scripture to him. I'm going to tell him, Lord, you're not going to leave him comfortless. I told the guy, there's no words I can say to you at this time, but God can. God will come in his special way. And that's what he's going to do to you and I in the midst of this as he calls us to walk in this for a purpose. God wants it to be darker and darker. Because what do you think is going to show up in the dark? The light will be seen like never before. Our light now is polluted. It's kind of gray, kind of dark, kind of foggy, kind of light, not light. The church is so fouled up. But God has a plan for that. Remember the message? I had one little 20 or 30 watt bulb lit the whole service with all the lights on. Never mentioned it. And we started turning off all the lights. And all of a sudden... That one little 20, meaningless 30-watt bulb that was like a beacon in the midst of the darkness. That's what's going to happen. But God's going to put resolve in you. You've got to walk through it. You can't run to a bookstore and no longer read about Finney. And no longer read about Tozer. Those are great reads. You can read them, but you're going to have to walk it yourself. No longer reading history. You're going to start writing history. You're going to have to be it. You're going to have to be the one God has called upon for us to do in the midst of this wicked and dark and perverse time. God says, I will not leave you comfortless. Now, you've got resolve to believe in that no matter what. And usually it gets worse after you hear a message like this. Comfortless simply means in a bereaved and desolate condition. God's not going to leave you that way. You can feel that way. You can be in that situation. But God says, I'm not going to leave you like that. And it also means or as orphans. I'm not going to leave you fatherless. You can feel fatherless. You can go, Abba, Father, where are you? It's still no response. It seems like God said, I will come to you. Do you have a resolve to believe that? If not, you'll live in despair, and you'll live in doubt. I thought you were coming, God. Where are you? Because it doesn't come by your timing and your way of thinking. Okay, let's look at Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 3. This is perfect for the time that we seem to be in as a nation. Daniel 3, 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon. A huge statue he made. Then Nebuchadnezzar, who rolled the land, by the way, the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the providence to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. To me, it sounds like all senators, all judges, Supreme Court, all lower courts, all everything that they wanted, police force, everything is right there. Then the princes and the governors and the captain and the judges and the treasurers and the counselors and the sheriffs and all the rulers of the province were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So you got this huge, every government department in the world that has any authority is standing in front of this 
ungodly statue. And he who is in charge, who has all the votes, all the power, all the might, is running the show. And then a herald cried aloud to you, it is commanded, O people, nation, and languages. And things have been heralded throughout our nation. Things are being commanded. You can no longer have the Ten Commandments in this area or that area. We've had our own children tell, turn that T-shirt inside out. And it didn't have the F word on it. It had something about life and power and Christ. It's being heralded out through our land already. Laws are coming, just like in Nebuchadnezzar's day. Hopelessness and despair. Always you see somebody always tearing down something that has to do with Christ. Nothing else, just Jesus. They ring those bells and all that. They don't tell you, Merry Christmas, keep your dollar. Stay there and wait for them to say, Merry Christmas. Don't give me none of that happy holiday stuff. Why not? I mean, we just keep saying, okay, okay. We'll stand in front of this great image. Verse 5 says that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbuck, psaltery, dulcimer, all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down in worship shall that same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And that's what's going on. Our our laws and our nation. Lots of us won't even mention Christ in our places of employment. Lots of you have been told, remove the Jesus sticker or bumper or thing on your desk or emblem on your, don't wear that, don't say that, can't read that, don't do this. All the time, because you're going to be thrown in a fiery furnace. And so we do, we just remove them and throw them away or whatever. God is looking for people with resolve. You know what? For the longest time, I wanted God to just blow this church apart with people and just be phenomenal, Lord. All these people in love with you and going crazy for the things of God. So we built that back wall that could be removed building would still stay up. Well, that was almost 10 years ago. God did something awesome with three people. Three. Three people. Just three people. So it goes on. Verse 7 says, Therefore, at the time when the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, and you're thinking, okay, you're waiting for either the church to arrive. In fact, I just heard this on Fox last week. Is this it? Is the church really going to rise up? Is the church really going to say something? Did anybody else hear that on Fox last week? Did you? They were stunned. That really wasn't the church, someone that represented what America calls church. But they, they were like, are they really going to do something? Are they going to say something? Are they going to come to the forefront? Because we never do. So therefore, at the time when the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, all these instruments, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped. 
The golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Even the church seems to be bowing down and running to everything that is wrong. Every stupid little doctrine, every dumb little nonsense thing that they think is a move of God, everything that they say that's anti-Christ, they bow down to. Because there's no resolve in any of us. Because we have never been put in the pressure cooker. We've never had persecution. And I mean, on a nation, on a whole. And now it's coming. But in the midst of this, look, God always uses his people to make a statement. Man, there's got to be three here, right? Three, one per section. Maybe. Three. I would like to say there has to be two here, because I would like to say I'm one. Deuteronomy 3.16, this is in the NIV now. Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. He says, if it be so, listen to this resolve. This is resolve. Do you understand what they're standing in front of? They're standing in front of all authority. They hear the crackling of the fire over there. Everyone's bowing down except three people. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now, that's resolve. Do you understand? They're saying, look, we're not going to serve your God. We want you to know something. Our God is able to deliver us out of this situation. But they even said, but if he doesn't, meaning if we burn like toast, burn up, if he doesn't, we want you to know something. We're not bowing down. That's what he said. This is what they said. What resolve? Three people. Can you imagine what's racing and how the devil's screaming in their air? You're going to die. Because even some of you do that when you get a bump or a lump or something from the doctor and you're gripped with fear instantly all of a sudden and you got to get a grip on that or you'll go crazy. And They said, listen, buddy, we're not bowing down. We will not compromise. I mean, I just find that absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. But it has done, it has been done by others. Do you remember when, what was there? Was there 5,000 or 6,000 talking to the Lord? And he was saying, unless you drink my blood and eat my bread, 5,988 left. And it was only the 12. What was that awesome statement of resolve that Peter said of all people? Jesus said, you you guys going? What did he say? Uh, Where are we going to go? You have the words of life. That's resolve. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to run to in the midst of this situation? 
You're going to run back to the world? Blend in with the masses and just... And hope you're not pointed out and picked out. There's one! There's one right there! You've run around with that Nazarene. I don't know the blankety-blank! So when they said that to Nebuchadnezzar, you know, the American church would think all of a sudden God's going to come to the rescue. Nebuchadnezzar's going to have a heart attack and they'll make you king. That's what we do. You're going to stand in front of thousands because you're wonderful. We hear that all the time. No, that's not what happened. Nebuchadnezzar went through the roof. It says he was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered a furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his armies to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. And the enemy will always be there to tell you, you should have left well enough alone. Why did you just keep your mouth shut? And you wouldn't be in this situation. You would have gone unnoticed. Like the church is now. Unnoticed. Now, you have to... You, can you imagine, Bruce, what's running through their mind when all power is at a rage with them, spitting, screaming at them, demanding the fiery furnace seven times hotter? Verse 21 says, So these men wearing their robes, trousers, and turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers, killed them, killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Look, I know you know the story, and I'm not waiting to get to the end and you go, Yay, I'm not that. No, I'm not. We're not it's not that. It's not like story time. Johnny C. And... It's, it's not that. We're looking for Shadrachs, Meshachs, and Abednegoes. Because it is getting so dark. Now, I'm not talking about you going into your work just to make a fight. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. Where you wear flashing stuff. You know? not talking about any of that. Just, God, give us some strong people that will serve God no matter what. Lord, if you don't make me one of them, I'll cave. I'll crash, God, because I'm a coward. Facing with that stuff, facing this, firmly tied, no way out. And it seems like that is with the church, there's no way out. Our nation is making law after law that is anti-church. It's coming against the things of God, telling, trying to tell me what I can preach. There was a day, it might have just passed. I was going, I can't remember, it's called um, Freedom Pulpit Sunday or something like that. Meaning, they were wanting 
pastors all over the place to speak the truth that one Sunday and they would, you know, kind of back it legally. And actually, we kind of do that all the time here. So it really wasn't something I was going to make a big to-do out, but that's how, that's how bad it is. That you can't even say certain things from the pulpit. Firmly tied. No way out. But I'm telling you, they were right. They could have died. They didn't know if they were going to be, they probably thought they were going to be a martyr for Christ. But God would have delivered them, would he not have? If they would have burned and died, they would have ended up in heaven. So either way, if you get this resolve in you, truly something from heaven that comes from God, you just can't say right here, okay, I'll take some of that resolve, Pastor. Now you've got to get it. You've got to get it from God where you trust Him in your individual darkest, deepest despair moments now that you might be in. Now that you might be in. Then you trust God and you get through it. You don't run from God. You don't run from the church. You don't run back to the world. You don't run the booze or it got too hard or I'm quitting. The reason why David ran at Goliath is because he killed the lion and the bear. I mean, just think of those. I would consider myself great if I did that. A lion. Grabbed by the hair of the chin, a lion. And killed him. I'd have done that. I'd have wrote books and I'd have went on a tour. Isn't that the truth? That's, but that was just God said, those are just little things because something big's coming. And look, David could have done that. He could have settled for a book, The Killing of the Lion. You should have been there. And I felt the heat of his nostrils breathing and I slayed him. And, or he could just gave that to God and see what happened. God ended up using him to judge for 40 years. Or he could have had a signing a book tour or something. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king, certainly. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Even in your darkest hour, remember, you're not alone. And it still is amazing to me sometimes in our deepest, darkest hours, we're even saying to us, I don't know how I'm doing it. You're not. You're not even doing that. It's God and God alone. I mean, these guys had to resolve, figure they're going to burn to death. But somehow they hung on it because God's grace is sufficient. In they go. And those who even threw them in were dead just by getting so close to the heat. Dropped dead. In they go. And there's the Lord waiting for them. So if there is a fiery furnace and the enemy's screaming in your hair as he keeps throwing wood after wood on it, stoking it, making it hotter and hotter. You need to just lay on the altar of God. And say, God, if you want me to die for you, I'll die for you. Whether we live or whether we die, we're the Lord's. These are the people God 
uses to change an entire nation. Because that's what happened. So after he saw these four men, this, this king who had all power, who built this great statue of himself, wanting everybody to bow, everybody, the sheriffs, the state troopers, the county police, the judges, the boards, all these people bowing, three dudes standing up, and we're not going to bow. Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. This is all of a sudden coming from the one. Therefore, I decree that the people of of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. And so our nation is going deeper and deeper and sinking into despair. And as it gets lower and lower and lower, there's going to be some that are going to be seen standing. Whoever they are, whoever will, stand as it goes lower and lower and lower. And immediately it's not going to get better. You're not going to be a hero. You're going to go, there they are. And you will either die a martyr in your resolve for Christ, or God will do something tremendous because it's God's. It's God's show. It's God. It's His thing. It's not yours. It's not. If He has chosen you to be seen like a 20-watt light bulb, to make a testimony and glory to God and then instantly be snuffed out, so be it. Or if God has used you or us or this little insignificant church, and it is. And what's going on? This is nothing. Nothing. Remember, it wasn't that long ago, I told you. Just It was a number four years ago or so. Never stopped there. Stopped at Mickey's restaurant with a New Hope shirt on. And a lady looked at me, and she goes, Never heard of that church. Where's that at? I'm like, great. I mean, we're only like 200 yards away or whatever, a mile away at the most. Never even heard. So it's insignificant, yet God can have darkness come on so thick. Gross darkness. But if you live in despair, you will not be there for them. You will be running. And you will be out of control. We're a nation that has lived unto itself. Where others have spilt their blood for you and I to have the Word of God and the freedom in it. We have now settled in on our leaves, like the Bible says and have consumed it on our own lusts. But now God is saying, enough. And he's he's shaking us. And so I'm telling you, don't panic. If you panic, you're missing it. Your only recourse, remember God says, I stand before you and give you life and death, blessing and cursing. He said, by the way, choose life for it'll be well with you. God is saying to you this morning, it's either despair or resolve. 
If you look and run to the world, it will be despair. If you look and run to Almighty God, it will be resolve. You will stand no matter what. For God says to you this morning, listen, you are not alone. And I'm believing that by faith. I am not alone. The enemy screams in my ears. You're alone. You're a joke. And the enemy is a liar. I am not alone. Whether I am in an individual crisis, I am not alone. Whether I am in a ministry crisis, I am not alone, God. Or when I look at our nation and I go, God, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. Michael, could you please come? Let's stand. And <clears throat> Some things I know that are going on just because I do, you know, pastor and we get calls and we pray for people and I know that Roger and Debbie Carson have just been going through something horrible physically with him and sometimes the doctor's buffaloed not having any idea and this medicine, that medicine, this hospital, that hospital. But I would say to them, Roger and Debbie, you're not alone. You're not alone. God hasn't misplaced you, wondering where you're at. He knows all the time what is going on in every one of your lives. You're not alone. What I would say to you this morning is you make that commitment to God. Say, God, I am putting my life in your care. And that's what we're going to do at the altar. We have our altar service here. Mike's going to play something. You come. Look, whether you're a young teen, you think, I haven't even begun to live my life yet. Then come and bring that to God and say, God, here is my life. I want to place it in your care. Some of you with terrible physical things going on saying, God, I can't do anything about it. I've tried. I've wept. I've cried. I've worried. I've fret. Lord, I'm just going to lay it. I'm going to trust you with my life. Despair will get you nothing. Resolve will get you faith and trust in Almighty God. And that only comes from God. He'll place that in your heart. That resolve, the ability to hang on when no one can. The resolve of God. Our elders are open. If you would like to make your way and make that commitment to God, please do at this time. Take us very seriously. We don't know what the news is going to read tomorrow morning. 